Good morning and welcome. Um, I am Melinda Graham and I have the privilege of speaking this morning and I'm so excited and also slightly nervous. So I'm going to stumble over some words and I'm probably going to say um, a lot and also I'm not going to know where to look. So <laughs> bear with me. Um, focus on hopefully the words that are coming out of my mouth that are God's words um, and not so much my presentation. Um, I'm going to start this morning actually with a confession, which may seem a bit odd, but it, it flows into what I'm going to talk about. So Tuesday morning, I was up a little early and I was running some errands before getting ready for work, and I heard a news story on the radio that frankly um, just sent me through the roof. Like it triggered, it pushed all my buttons, and I was mad. Um, I'm not necessarily going to talk about what the news story was because it's not terribly important to this, but I I got home and I was talking about it, and I, I mean, I was so mad, I was in tears mad. And of course, in my state of anger, I decided that the most um, rational, rational, reasonable thing to do would be to get on Facebook and to talk about it. Um, because that's what we should all do when we're angry, is to get on social media. <laughs> so, that was a joke. Um, but, so I did, and I, I mean, I, I was looking for a fight, is what I was looking for, because I was mad, and I didn't know what to do with all of that feeling and all of that anger, and ultimately what was underneath that was just heartbreak. Um, so I mean, I used my best fighting words, I got in there, and I was ready to go. God is gracious, and God is good, and nobody fought with me which was really disappointing at the time, but in hindsight actually was great um, because I was gonna burn some bridges that day because like I said, I was mad. Um, the reality of the situation is going on social media and venting my anger was not the right choice. And I know that, we all know that, but my issue was the tool that I needed, the tool that God had really provided in this situation and the situation that I was dealing with is not one that's one of my go-tos. Um, it's not one that I think is one that the church um, talks a lot about and maybe even talks enough about. And so it's probably not a lot of our go-tos, but that's what we're going to talk about today. And what I needed, the tool that I needed in the moment was I needed lament. This is going to be a fun day, right? We're going to talk about being sad, but that's what we're going to do. Right? We're going to talk about lament today because that was the tool I needed. And there are certain situations in our society that need that tool. Okay, And a lot of us, if you're like me, don't have it. Okay? So um, this talk owes a lot to a theologian named Soong Chan Ra and his work, Prophetic Lament. Um, Ra is a scholar and a professor at North Park Theological Seminary in Chicago. Specifically, he teaches church growth and evangelism, and a lot of his writings really have to do with the church and race, which, again, is why this talk today is so, um, I think, relevant to us as a church and us as a country. Um, his work, Prophetic Lament, is the study of the Book of Lamentations, but um, also is a call for the modern church, so us, right, 
to re-engage lament as a response to injustice in the world, the injustice we see every day, the injustice that drove me to angry tears Tuesday morning. Um, and, and specifically, in this particular work in Prophetic Lament, he's talking about racial justice, right? Um, and, and the church's work to engage in that. Um, before we get into Prophetic Lament and even into Lamentations, I want to take a minute to just situate us in terms of where we are in the Bible. Because, again, Lamentations isn't one that we talk about a lot, and I want to make sure everybody knows kind of where we're at. So it's in the Old Testament, um, and if we kind of look at the history of the nation of Israel, right? We have God created all things. We have Adam and Eve. We're going to fast forward some. We have God's covenant with Abraham, right? And his um, promise that he was going to create a nation, right, out of, out of Abraham. So then we have Isaac and Jacob, and we have these 12 sons who ultimately, with their families, go to Egypt and become the 12 tribes, right? We have Moses and Exodus, and we then have, with Joshua, the establishment of the nation. So we went from a people, right, a set of tribes, the 12 tribes, to a nation when they went into the promised land, okay? From there, we have the time of judges, we have David, we have the time of kings, we have David, we have Solomon, and then we have the two, we have the nation of Israel split, and we have the northern part that continues to be called Israel and the southern part that is called Judah and Jerusalem is in the southern part. Okay. The, the northern part gets conquered by the Assyrians. The, um, in like, I would say 720, 722 BC, the southern part hangs on for another 140 years or so and gets conquered by the Babylonians and there we have the destruction of um, the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. Remember, the temple was built by Solomon, right? It was one of the, like, marvels of the ancient world. Right? It's this beautiful temple to God, and it gets destroyed, like, raised to the ground, destroyed. And a lot, many, many, many of the Jewish people get taken into exile into Babylon, right? But we also have a remnant that is left. And Lamentations... Okay, is written from the perspective of people who were, of a person who was left, right? Traditionally, we believe that Lamentations was um, written by the prophet Jeremiah. It actually follows the book of Jeremiah in the Bible, and we believe that it was written by him. Um, but that is what's happened, and that's what he's reflecting on in the book of Lamentations. He's reflecting on the destruction of Jerusalem and the people who have kind of been left behind um, there. All right, everybody with me so far? Sorry, this talk is going to be a little on the academic side because I was a teacher for a while, and so that's kind of my go-to and I've been to school a lot. So, okay. Um, lament itself happens in lots of places in the Bible, um, not just in the book of Lamentations, although Lamentations is... Really, I think the only book of the Bible that is almost completely lament. Um, but we see it in lots of places. And so we're going to start really talking about what lament is now. And then ultimately, um, we're going to talk about why we lament. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. 
So I'm going to start, I'm going to circle back around and I'm going to start with um, something that um, Ra said in his book, Prophetic Lament, because again, we're going to be really sitting in that book today and drawing a lot of our, our information from there. So in terms of kind of defining lament, Ra says that laments are prayers of petition arising out of need. But lament is not simply the presentation of a list of complaints, nor merely the expression of sadness over difficult circumstances. Lament in the Bible is a liturgical response to the reality of suffering and engages God in the context of pain and trouble. The hope, because there is hope, the hope of lament is that God would respond to human suffering that is wholeheartedly communicated through lament. So just a couple of examples, and we're going to start just in Lamentations 1, verses 1 and 2. Um, the, the writer says, How deserted lies the city, so full, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. Here, um, the prophet is writing about the city of Jerusalem. He is lamenting the current situation of the city. And it's tragic, tragic and kind of devastating um, destruction. Um, David in the Psalms laments. Um, in Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, and this is a, a refrain we see a lot in lament, but he says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Or again in, and I always say this wrong, Habakkuk 1, verses 2 through 4, we see that refrain again. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so justice is perverted. Well, that's some heavy stuff right there. Um, and honestly, I, as I read those words, it makes me think of now. It makes me think of today. Um, that cry to the Lord of how long will your justice be? be perverted? How long must we sit in this place? But it wasn't from today, right? It was written a long time ago. And we are going to look at a couple of examples from now. Um, the first one we're going to look at actually wouldn't refer to as biblical lament necessarily because it isn't an appeal to God. But um, it's a part of a song that I want to play. And I play it because of the emotion that it evokes in us. I, 
Lament is a feeling. There's a grief, right? And if we just think about and talk about lament with our heads, we don't get it. So this song, number one, the words are about a situation that is certainly worth lamenting. Um, but number two, um, I want you really to feel what we're, what we're hearing. And so if we can play that. Even more recently in terms of um, modern examples of lament, I'm going to read part of a prayer that was used in a prayer service. Um, the pastor's name is Paul Burkhart. Um, apart from finding the prayer, I don't know a ton about him, but um, this prayer to me really speaks to right now what it looks like to, demand, to lament racial injustice. The prayer service, by the way, was in 2016, so um, four years ago. And it says, God of the cross and the lynching tree, God of the jail cell and the street corner of the Bible study and the police car. See how it is. Look upon the world you have made. See how it is full of hatred and how violence inhabits the earth. Gunshots ring out under the heavens that declare your glory, singing the destruction of your children. The streets and sidewalks of this world you love flow with blood, pouring out the cries of your beloveds. Do you not hear them? The clanging of cell doors ring out, tolling the lives stolen by systemic oppression and unspeakable violence. Do you not hear it? How long, O oh God, will you keep silent? How long will we fail to be your voice? Again, we come back to this, this question of how long. But I think ultimately the, the part of that that gets me is the last sentence where he says, how long will we fail to be your voice? 
as we sit with these examples of lament, I think the natural question is why? Why engage in lament? Um, and I think that we engage for a couple of reasons. Um, the first reason we engage in lament is that it creates spaces for other voices, for other experiences of God and other experiences of faith and, and the life that we live, right? Um, we see this in Lamentations, and so this is from Lamentations 2, and um, verses 10 through 12. It reads, The elders of daughter Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have sprinkled dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed because children and infants faint in the streets of the city they say to their mothers where is bread and wine as they faint like the wounded in the streets of the city as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms when we're talking about other voices and we're looking at um, Jewish society right this this passage speaks to the experiences of young women, it speaks to the experiences of mothers, it speaks to the experiences, experiences of children, right? These are not necessarily voices that we see often um, reflected um, in that society. They're not the voices or the experiences that are, that are usually upheld, right? So lament creates spaces for those experiences. Um, Ra, so circling back to prophetic lament, writes, of the American church. The primary narrative that forms our ministry models draws from evangelical success stories. We are presented with triumphalistic narratives that minimize stories of struggle. Our historical reflection reveals an obsession with success and celebration while stories of survival and suffering are ignored. But he goes on to say stories of suffering can never be buried when lament is an important and central aspect of the church's worship life, right? So again, this idea of lament really opening up space for stories that aren't usually told in the church. Um, so what might these other voices and these other experiences look like, especially as we think about and talk about and confront racial injustice in our society? Um, it was the 4th of July recently, and I feel like maybe some people in here saw bits and pieces of this speech that was um, given by Frederick Douglass in 1852 talking about the 4th of July. Um, and he says to a crowd that is gathered to, to listen to him, a mostly white crowd that is gathered to listen to him, he says, I say it with a sad sense of disparity between us. I am not included within the pale of this golden, glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, I must mourn. That right, points to this very different experience, right? And this idea that 
these different experiences oftentimes require mourning, right? Lament. Um, Langston Hughes is one of my all-time favorite poets, so I'm also going to um, read one of his poems again as this idea of struggle and suffering and the importance of those stories being here and being present in the church. So this is um, the poem, Mother to Son. Well, son, I'll tell you, life for me ain't been no crystal stair. It's had tacks in it and splinters and boards torn up, places with no carpet on the floor, bare. But all the time, I've been a-climbing on and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. So boy, don't you turn back. Don't you set down on these stairs because you find it kind of hard. Don't you fall now, for I still going on, honey. I still climbing, for life, life for me ain't been no crystal stair. Right? This mother is speaking of a life of struggle. Right? Um, there isn't any triumph in what she's talking about here, the experience of life that she's had, but it is an experience that is worth remembering. Right? Um, One last example, and this one is a little bit more overarching, um, and it's given to us by a Navajo writer and speaker and activist whose name is Mark Charles. He's talking about the idea of community and the need for common memory in order to really create community. This idea of the ability to sit with and understand other people's experiences. And he says, people of white European ancestry remember a history of discovery, open lands, manifest destiny, endless opportunity, and exceptionalism. While communities of color, primarily those with African and indigenous roots, have lived experience of stolen lands, broken treaties, slavery, boarding school segregation, cultural genocide, internment camps, and mass incarceration. Very different experiences. Um, very different views of the world, of history, of um, this land. And coming back to this idea of common memory and this idea of community, he says, how do we create common memory when so much of government, institutional, church, and individual effort is invested in consciously forgetting? And I believe that the answer to Charles's question is lament, right? Inherent in lament is this idea of remembering, right? Lament allows us to do what the Bible asks us to do, which is weep with those who are weeping and mourn with those who mourn. Um, lament creates space for that. Um, I don't know where I am with time because I didn't set my timer. Um, I have one more point, and I'm going to truncate it a little bit. The good news is that even though I'm truncating it a little bit, um, Chris is going to talk next week, and um, he is really going to expand on the, the scripture that I'm going to just kind of point us to. And so what we're talking about is my next point is this idea that lament creates a path forward, right? Because um, ultimately we don't sit forever in lament, right? 
right? But it creates for us a path forward. And we really see this in Lamentations 3, um, which is, again, what Chris is going to talk about next week. So in Lamentations 3, um, we see, the beginning of the chapter, we really see this continuing talk about the situation, this continuing mourning and lament. But ultimately, um, the prophet makes a turn about halfway through, and he in, instead begins talking about God's faithfulness, right? We see this in verses 21 through 26, and I'm not going to read them right now, but um, you can check them out later. But really, what we look at is this idea that um, we can remember God's faithfulness, even in times of tragedy, we can remember who God is, and that, is, that brings us hope, right? Um, and though he returns to lament again, he also turns to confession. So if we think about this path forward, right? Lament, remembering God's faithfulness, confession, right? And he turns to confession and he turns to pleading with God to act. Um, but Jeremiah's confession is not just for him. Um, his confession is corporate and so are his pleas. His pleas are for God to redeem his society, right, for the, God to redeem the people of Israel. Um, so we see um, the confession aspect in uh, Lamentations 3, 40 through 42, and then we see God responding, right? He says, in, this is in, still in Lamentations 3, um, 55 through 59. Um, in 57, I'll just read that, or 58, sorry, he says, you, Lord, took up my case. You redeemed my life. God moved, right? This lament, this remembering of God's faithfulness, this confession, and then God moves. Ra writes, confession propels the community to imagine a world beyond their current state of sinful existence. Lament that recognizes the reality of brokenness allows the community to express confession in its proper context. Confession acknowledges the need for God and opens the door for God's intervention. Confession and lament relies on God's work for redemption. Lament is uncomfortable. It is. A lot of the things that we read, a lot of the things that we experienced today are uncomfortable. Sitting with the brokenness of the world around us and the brokenness within us is not fun. But it is necessary and it is biblical. And that is why it's important. The magnitude of the change required both within us and around us, right? The magnitude of the hurt that has been endured requires the fullness of lament. And it is with lament that we move forward. It is with lament that we do the work that needs to be done together. Because ultimately, when we're talking about justice, when we're talking about any of these things, right, they're not a means to, they're not, they're not the end in themselves, right? God is the God of justice. When we do the work of justice, we are doing the work of God. Right? Which ultimately is what we are called to as his followers. Um, so, 
very academic, very kind of in our heads this morning, and I'm supposed to close with some sort of like, what do I do with this now that I've heard this? The doing of lament is tricky, right? Because the doing of lament is really a lot of prayer and sitting with. And so that's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. Um, maybe return to the song that we heard. Maybe it's sitting with God and with the phrase, how long, Lord? And seeing what God brings to your mind and brings to your heart when you ask him how long. Ask him to break your heart for the things that break his and sit with that this week. Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you for your justice and your mercy. God, we thank you that that you give us this tool of lament when the bigness of our hurt and our anger is overwhelming. God, that even in that space, Lord, that you need us, God, and with, with lament, God, there is the hope that you will move, God, and so we come to you in our brokenness and our sadness, God, um, and we trust in your faithfulness that you will move out of your love for us, God, that you will bring healing, God, and that you will, be just, you will bring justice because you are the God of those things. So we thank you for that, God. We thank you for, for Jesus as, as an example of your justice and your mercy, God, and your response to our need for both. And we just ask all of these things in his name.